Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when they're bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and could help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save nearly $800 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Vanity Fair. I've been assured that the tone of the show is... Risky. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. I'm Hilary Busis. We are here to discuss the ninth episode of season six of the Netflix series The Crown. The episode is called Hope Street. There's this place on Hope Street which looks good. Big windows. I like Hope Street. And later on, Hollywood correspondent Julie Miller is back. And we'll talk all about one of the best fashion shows of the new millennium. But first, let's recap the episode. Mohammed Al-Fayed is back, and this time he's got a load of conspiracy theories around the death of Princess Diana and his son. The Dracula British royal family. These people are gangsters. Terrorists. When they discovered Princess Diana was pregnant with a Muslim child, they killed her. Prince William and Kate are brought together by a sexy fashion show. Of course I'm interested. I thought you weren't interested. I thought I'd blown it that day in the library. And I'd started to worry that we drifted into the dreaded friend zone. Oh no, I'd hate that. <laughs> a police investigation debunks Al-Fayed's claims and Mohammed decides to leave the UK. And the British, their government, and their Dracula royal family, they can burn in hell. The Queen Mother dies, and the Queen is anxious about her golden jubilee. Because I don't mind admitting I'm a little apprehensive about it. Particularly the balcony. The idea I might step out to no crowds, just a big empty space. Or worse, booing 
And Will and Kate decide to become roommates. But it's got four bedrooms and there's just three of us. Ah. Unless you happen to know a fourth. I have to first ask you guys, what did you think of the juxtaposition of a sexy fashion show, smash cut, queen mother dying in a little bed? Like, like, <laughs> I just thought that was such a weird way to offset the action of this episode. I, I did a, a double take when that <laughs> happened. I was like, we can't really be going from, you know, the most high stakes fashion show in all of the world. Yep. <laughs> There's never been more. Yeah, the um, future of the empire depended more, on this fashion show. A young show. woman's entire life has been leading to this <laughs> to moment. This yeah. most consequential moment. In yeah. this see-through dress. <laughs> more than a Victoria's Secret. More than America's sex up model like lives depended on that fashion mm-hmm. show and then to go to uh, for lack of a better word just a dead old woman and lying in a bed <laughs> yeah. I it really did undercut some of the sort of uh, sexiness of the previous scene for me at least a little yeah. bit of a, a buzz kill yeah mm-hmm. yeah uh, but I guess if we this episode if we want to put a sort of rough theme around it like it is about oh here we go again William deciding but having to sort of negotiate both heart and duty to the crown and all that. And I think the episode argues that he does find a way to do it because Kate is more on board with it maybe than another girlfriend might have been or whatever. Like, well, she really understands. I'm too. I, I should also say the truth of the matter is that they did happen very close to each other. Is that right? Which oh, is really? pretty yeah. wild. Yeah, the fashion show was on March 26th. And the queen died on March 30th. Okay. Or the so queen mother is, died on March 30th. Okay. So that is actually... So she didn't die while they were having their first kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Kate did not kill her by wearing that dress. But she didn't not. Yeah. No. We can't, we can't, we can't prove, prove the correlation. You know, I think it was Carol Middleton when Carol Middleton said, hey, wear heels, not flats. <laughs> I, though, was frustrated because 100% wrap up the queen mother, send her out with her flowers and whatnot. But for that to be the B-plot and for the B-plot of this whole episode to be, the queen's worried about her fans. Is anybody going to be at her jubilee instead of having anything about Harry and like mm-hmm. all we could keep constantly hearing about Harry is a fuck up Harry yep. Harry's a rogue and we don't see him do anything why wouldn't they make him a B plot so we could see Harry in comparison to William I think yes, that would be yeah, we're more just, interesting we're clearly running out of time which is the problem we needed yeah. an episode about Tony Blair and the Women's Society did we need the that? Women's Institute I don't know if we needed that but okay. we did get it <laughs> uh, I think that the Harry stuff is just too sordid for for the show's <laughs> sensibilities you know uh-huh. like I mean not that he was doing anything beyond the Nazi costume but like getting but no, he's in just pub like fights and smoking yeah, weed and he's like really whatever not fighting with his yeah. dad at pubs uh-huh. but I kind of I want like they, they reference oh Harry and dad aren't getting along well but like could we see that Just maybe <laughs> for 30 seconds yeah. I, it yeah. doesn't need to be like the whole well you episode. know you know the that maxim of writing tell don't show <laughs> mm-hmm. they're always saying mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't know and maybe this is an invention for the show but I kind of doubt it is that the Middletons were sort of Thatcherites did you catch that line where they're like, oh, we miss Mrs. T, you yeah. know, or whatever? Ooh. I don't know. What did you guys think about the portrait of domestic Middleton life in this episode? It was I a mean, little creepy, I the, thought. The, the Queen's line about they eat in the kitchen like the staff yeah. I thought was great. Yeah. And that's like the sort of thing that I wish the Crown did more. Yeah. Like, these are not regular people. No. Like, no. don't try to make us make us empathize with them as human beings, perhaps. But, like, don't pretend like they are like us. Yeah. They are obviously not. And they're snobs about it. Like, yeah. they, they are keenly aware that they are not like us. Yeah, I— also found the portrayal of the Middletons to be so quaint in a way that I'm not sure they were as quaint as they mm-hmm. may have 
appeared to be in the episode, but that was a way of juxtaposing, I think, you know, William's grand royal life with, like, the down-home pleasures. Yeah, of, like, we're all going to sit together. We're going to, like, sit on the couch. around on the couch, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he has to, you know, choose duty over that, which, you know, it seems like he would have liked to stay mm-hmm. with the Middletons and help to clean up, but he had to, you know, he had to be there for his grandmother mm-hmm. in her time of need when she was nervous and whatnot. And I de- it definitely scans me that they would be Thatcherites. I feel like that, like, in terms of their politics. If you're going to be that into the monarchy. Yeah, then you (laughs) seem to go hand in hand. Maybe go together. If you're going to dream of your daughter becoming a princess, probably you like the status quo. Yeah, you probably like. And you are not a revolutionary like Tony Blair's (laughs) wife. Yeah. But yeah, William did get a taste of the humble, quaint life of party supply millionaires, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yes, there is also the fact that, like, these are not, like, middle class, just, like, regular Britons. Like, these are also incredibly wealthy people. And had she actually been middle class or lower class or whatever, he almost certainly would not have been allowed to date her. Oh, when, yeah. They when, would have found a way to stop that. When he was telling um, Queen Elizabeth Granny about what she was like, it's like, oh, what's her name? Catherine. And she's like, oh my God, thank God. It's yeah, not, yeah. not like, Shazza. Yeah, it's not Megan. Shaniqua or like something like that's what right, she's worried right. about. Like she's, you get to see that. I'm glad that's the thing that yeah. like, that's what's currently under the surface of the royal family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not Dodie. You know, that's what she's, yeah. she was happy about mm-hmm. that. And then there's another thing where it's like, oh, she's from Berkshire. That's where our horses are. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. it's that sort of insidiousness. That's when I like the crown. That's when it, yeah. when it's being real about how fucked up this family is. Yeah. And it doesn't really get into this that much, but like, like, yeah, it's also very clear, like, she is new money, but, like, she knows horses. Like, yeah. she does all of the, like, same kinds of sporty things that William did. Like, she had the money to go on those, like, ridiculous gap year trips. Like, mm-hmm. they are not so different in class as, you know, it might seem because they don't have a title. Yeah. And William is not required to date or marry someone with a title. Like, that, yes. you know, she passes muster on certain grounds that are unspoken but uh, mm-hmm. obvious. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and the criteria yeah. have loosened since, you yeah. know, Charles had to find a nice Nineteen-year-old virgin, yeah, in the eighties, yeah. But it's so grim, <laughs> so it's God. so grim, it's so insane. Yeah. Uh, um, speaking of grim, we're also having. I, I'm assuming the last of Muhammad Fayed uh, mm-hmm. in this episode. I was not expecting to see him again. Mm-hmm. I thought that our, that narrative had closed, but of course, this was a big thing. We we referenced it earlier uh, on this podcast that like. Muhammad did not go off quietly into the into his grief. Like mm-hmm. he really was very, very vocal about his distrust and dislike for the royal family, which has a sort of tragic lilt to it because like he used to be so devoted to the idea of getting in their good graces. Do you think it fit into this episode? I mean, to have him in the cold open, I was a little bit like, whoa, yeah, okay. <laughs> he's yeah. back, recurring I guess character. Chronologically, it does. But I will say that I think that for all of the subtext that you guys especially were picking up on earlier in this season. I thought that they wound up in like that early Diana arc, the, you know, one to episodes one to four arc, they wound up treating Muhammad with like some sensitivity and, you know, rounding him out and stuff. And I don't know, this button on that just felt kind of mean, like the Mm -hmm. point by point refuting of all of his conspiracy theories. Like I understand like, those conspiracy theories are demonstrably untrue and I can Mm -hmm. understand, especially a royalist, really feeling the need to refute them and to, you know, make sure without a shadow of a doubt it is clear that from the show's perspective there is no malfeasance, there is no conspiracy like Princess Diana died in a tragic accident. Yeah. But do they really need to hammer on it so much, make him seem so 
un- crazy. It will just make him, yeah, and, and malicious, too. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because I know we were sort of not on uh, opposite sides, but, like, we, were, we picked up on the subtext of them sort of painting him as this, you know, manipulative brown man mm-hmm. and they definitely sort of hammered that in with like everything all your conspiracy theories are wrong but I will say I was a little bit surprised and like oh okay Peter Morgan when they had Muhammad's speech about how much England sucks yeah. <laughs> the perpetrators of this tyranny are the British establishment in particular the racist royal family that sits at its heart Why the people do not rise up against them, I will never know. The British are a nation of zombies who elect donkeys to rule them. Hey, that's kind of metal. Yeah, <laughs> did he keep calling him a Dracula family? He did. He, did. <laughs> he called them a Dracula family. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay. Which is such, a, so good. such a strange turn of phrase that I have to believe that came from real life. I would have to think so. But like, I get, I get the 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 messaging is clear. These people are vampires on the necks of the British citizens. Yeah. So I we have to agree with Muhammad on some fronts, and I, I agree with you, Hillary. I think that the portraiture has shif- shifted from earlier episodes this season of something of compassion to something like where he's this really like vocal, not just thorn in their side, but like putting them through hell, re-traumatizing the boys, possibly have like leading to the exhumation of Diana's body, which did not happen, thankfully. You know, and I, I guess that this theory of his that was pretty widely disseminated, like had to be addressed. I'm just surprised they went they did it so full on, you know. Yeah. Again, that's some the the space that they give certain storylines mm. I would give to other parts. I, I'm yeah. sort of like bowled over and it makes me want to read all these books um, and like just go back and do more research because there's so much they have to cut out right and there's you can't tell everybody's story in in full but it did feel like kicking a horse when he's down even though Muhammad is dead now but like Uh that felt a little bit Mean spirited, punching down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the the uh, the investigator's tone as he was like reciting all of the ways in which the investigation found that there was, you know, no foul play. From the evidence of close friends and associates, we learned that the princess was not engaged, nor about to get engaged, nor indeed wished to get engaged. We also found no evidence that the princess was pregnant at the time of her death. And forensic tests carried out on blood recovered from the Mercedes support this. I, I don't know. It it rubbed me a little the wrong way. Although, you know, you can see he was saying some pretty awful, very, stuff. very demonstrably untrue things. Yeah. So I, I will say his line, Egyptian Egyptians were building pyramids while England people were wearing animal skins and shitting in caves. That was <laughs> pretty good. That was pretty good. I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed that yeah. as well. I did not a direct yeah. quote, not a perfect quote, but that's, yeah, I really did, <laughs> really did enjoy that. Thatcher did put an end to the shitting in caves. We have to at least give her credit for that. That's well, why the I Middletons should, love her. I should also yeah. note that the Jews were the ones building the pyramids, but that's a, <laughs> that is actually, for, that's a, a good, for a separate time. That is actually I've seen important. Prince of Egypt. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, great good movie. Um, but I think it also, you know, in, in terms of the where the Muhammad of it all fit into this episode, it is interesting as a sort of vague juxtaposition to have this angry, grieving man who tried to marry into the royal family and it went so terribly wrong with Kate just sailing on in there, you know? Uh, and, and what differences, you know, what 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 um, differentiates those two people? I mean, something well, obvious, and there you know? were, like, But there were a lot of machinations behind Kate's... There were, uh, yeah. And, and yeah, and that's also the, juxtap- the juxtaposition is really remarkable because, like, Carol did the same thing, but it worked. But it worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, so you can't and really it wasn't viewed as this kind of outsider other... Mm-hmm 
doing sinister machinations. It yeah. was just like, well, every upstanding woman would want her daughter to marry the Prince of England, of course. I mean, probably know. the British press was still very critical, as they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah As sure. they tend to be. They're famously yeah. not very nice. But yeah. I do feel— And they're famously uh, <laughs> very accepting of ambitious women. Yeah, they really they really <laughs> yeah. love that. Like, yeah. Um, but I will say the, the show, as far as the William and Kate stuff go, and I will say Ed McVeigh, Prince William, really wonderful. He's really great. He's very good. Uh-huh. Very yeah. good. He, he looks like William from all the footage and pictures that I've seen, mm-hmm. and he's really affecting. I feel like he's really falling in love with her. We get this sort of like Cinderella story almost, sort of sheen when they move into Hope Street. There's Hope again on Hope Street. Incredible that it was actually. I know. That's it. <laughs> I was like, I thought that Hope Street was where Barack and Michelle met. <laughs> you can only be a famous <laughs> big-time person if you live on Hope Street. Yeah. But I, I found myself, because I do feel like we haven't even really gotten to spend enough time with Kate and Will's love story. I don't feel like we really know Kate. I and I kind of don't all. think we will get to know her. Much in the same way, that, like, I don't know anything about her personality in, the, yeah. in real life. Oh, totally. You know? Like, she's just, I mean, I, I'm sure she's much more than that in private, but, like, in her public persona is that of just a functionary of the family. You yeah, know? Right. Like she provided airs and she looks nice and put together at events and, you know, whatever. Ribbon that's cutting, it. picture taking. Yeah. That's yeah. it. And I was, yeah, I totally, especially when like, okay, we got the fashion show and like, I was so excited for you know, that's so fun. And then we don't really see anything. Well, I think the fashion show looms so large in our collective imagination, <laughs> in the culture's collective <laughs> yeah. imagination, yeah. because it's a moment of moxie. It's a moment of spirit. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a moment of sex. Yeah. yeah it's, like, it's, 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 yeah, it's a woman like really going for it, like putting it all out there and like shows that there is like some spark of life, like beneath the pretty princess hair and like the perfect makeup and everything. And like, if there is more if, like, fashion show Kate is, like, representative of her personality more broadly, then, yeah, I would love to know. I would I would love to hear more from her. Her even doing the fashion show, like, a three-minute scene of her being like, I don't know, maybe it's too mm-hmm. risque, but no, but doing I got just to just to snare him. Just to get his attention. Like, there's, yeah, I totally agree with both of you that we don't really have a clear picture of who Kate Middleton is other than... Pre-Cinderella Cinderella, right? She's mm-hmm. yeah. she meets the prince and she's going to become Well, and a Cinderella who never endured any hardship. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Whose right. hardest thing that ever happened to her was that she had to go in a gap, yeah. Like, never had to sweep up at the party hat factory or whatever. <laughs> she's uh, just like <laughs> putting confetti in a neat yeah, pile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whistling while she works. I thought that the stuff, um, you know, them deciding to live together at the end as, you know, roommates with other people beginning this sort of like student bohemian era of their lives short-lived because they're going to graduate and then it's get married and then it's just time for everything is formal and duty and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. I liked the way that was echoed with um, Elizabeth's memory of when she and Philip lived a sort of more independent, youthful life and her sending him that officer's wife. wife. (laughs) I was waiting for Imelda. I was like, Imelda's going to do a reprise of that. It's exactly... Uh, That's so good. It's the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because the queen knows, like, well, enjoy it while it lasts, kid, because it's not going to last that long. You know, we're going to come calling pretty soon. And I thought there was something sort of sad and almost generous about that in, on Elizabeth's part, but also, like, she could stop this if she wanted. I mean, she, yeah. she could end this whole thing if she, she wanted to. She could end this. And I guess, yeah. to her credit, 
you know, she doesn't make him go to the Jubilee. She's like, you live your yeah. life. Yeah. She's not a fan of William, sort of, again, in another amazing piece of exposition when William's like, well, everybody wants me to become king next and to skip Charles, <laughs> which I'm sure is right. definitely a conversation. I heard a little note in his voice of like, I mean, that would be so stupid, right? Like, <laughs> would it be <laughs> crazy? Can you right? even, like, imagine? Yeah, like, like, I mean, dad would never go for it, like, right? What if, like, I, yeah. what if I just tried on the crown? Like, <laughs> yeah. ha-ha. Yeah. Where is it, by the way? Yeah. 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 But she, like, shuts that down, too. So, so, yeah, I think in her infinite wisdom, she wants to protect him and keep him away from the limelight for as long as possible. Yeah. But also, a little selfishly, she likes the limelight and she wants people to show up to that jubilee and to celebrate her mm-hmm. for duty and for the country mm-hmm. and whatnot, but also for her own vanity. And I did see a little bit of that in oh, yeah, no, performance. Her, her, her insecurity and her desire to be loved like is definitely... You know, a humanizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, what else does facet. she have? She has no. There's no other metric for success for her. Yeah. <laughs> like, and I thought it was funny when at the end of that little thing of like, um, how oh, I'm so nervous. What if there are no crowds? Whatever. Uh, I just wouldn't want to let everyone down. And it's like <laughs> that's not what you're. Cra- <laughs> that's not what you're concerned about. <laughs> Still watching. We'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, is it ten ten tens across the board for Kate's dress? We'll discuss the fashion show with VF's Julie Miller. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. I'm really excited to see... Whether I can read the Iliad again, whether I'm that literate, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Kate Middleton's fashion show moment was brief, and yet there was so, so much to unpack about it. And we promised, 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 promised Vanity Fair's Julie Miller that we would bring her back so she could talk about this cr- absolutely crucial crown storyline, perhaps the biggest <laughs> the one. The most important one of all time. Seasons. Before we even knew it was going to be in the show, we thought we would just be like, oh, and also there was this, this fashion, fashion show. This fashion show that happened, they probably weren't, but then they, Yes, but it seems that Peter Morgan was reading our dream journals, <laughs> so he put it in the show, and now, luckily, Julie is here to talk about it. Hi, Julie. Hi, I'm so happy to be back. All right, Julie, um, everyone needs to know, how accurate was this fashion show moment uh, on the crown to to what really happened? It's fascinating because you start to read about this 2002 charity fashion show that happened at St. Andrews, and there's mysteriously very little known about what happened behind 
what happened behind the scenes. The the designer of the quote-unquote dress um, obviously did a, a PR tour after it was auctioned, right before it was auctioned, sorry, in 2011, leading up to William and Kate's wedding, um, and said that she had no idea how Kate came to wear this quote-unquote dress. Must have been kind of a bad press tour. Yeah. Bad press just like, I don't know. <laughs> right. Um, it, was, it was designed from a sheer piece of fabric that cost just $40 wow. and was supposed to be a I have, skirt. I have pulled up an image of the actual, uh, the oh, actual garment. Okay. I do love the Crown's version. Everything from Carol Middleton on the phone before saying, you know, you must wear heels, <laughs> not flats. We yeah. have to show off God's assets. To her, you know, picking picking this particular outfit from the rack is pretty good. Do we know how much it like sold in auction? Like how much the dress did? One hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Wow, from forty to one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. Quite a markup. Yeah, I was. It was probably the best purchase I've ever made. <laughs> I'll be honest. Well, yeah. but you never wear it. <laughs> well, not to work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned Carol. She's a fascinating. We're obsessed with her. Eve's best performance is amazing. <gasps> how much do we really know about the real Carol in terms of? her machinations in, in making this marriage happen. Yes, uh, our, our producer Emily has compared her to, like, to being the Kris Jenner to... <laughs> right. Oh, which is a fabulous comparison. ...to Kate's Kim, and does that seem accurate to you? Right. We know that Carol herself was, you know, climbed classes. Her family actually grew up as laborers, carpenters, and regular, regular folk. And then she worked as a flight attendant. She married Kate's father. She became this wonderful middle-class woman. And then she created her own business. So we know that she's very entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. We know that she has a managerial spirit, which is what Tina Brown wrote in Palace Papers. Tina Brown (laughs) wrote that she doesn't think Kate would be where she is without Carol. What's fascinating is I I spoke to Annie Salzberger, who's the researcher on The Crown, has been all six seasons. She said their research team was made up entirely of females, and they desperately wanted to find evidence that Kate didn't choose St. Andrews for William. So they combed through all the research and they couldn't find wow. it at all. They were trying to disprove the rumor, essentially. Ex- exactly. Right? But they couldn't yeah. find any proof they that she didn't. Yeah, so all of Kate's friends uh, said she had never spoken about taking a gap year. She was set up to go to Edinburgh. It had the Better Arts History Program. You know, her friends were going there. <laughs> I so, love this so much. Right, right. So so no one is is connecting the dots, really, and saying, you know, that <laughs> she this was a scheming effort. But I do love the Carol take. And I asked Annie about it. And she sort of used euphemistic language to say that— Carol was just very much supported her daughter's <laughs> dreams, and it wasn't so much the royalty, but that she thought if Kate were to ascend to the social circle, she would be set up for life. Mm-hmm. Well, she was not wrong. <laughs> she was not. Yeah. Wrong. Well, and it, it's interesting to watch it though, because yeah, the the crown goes a lot like goes a lot harder on like the mother of a future queen of England than you kind of think that it would, considering how the crown generally treats the royals. Yeah, I, I I'm curious, like. Do you know anything about, like, were there dating requirements for William? I mean, because, like, obviously the Middletons were rich, but they weren't, like they, like you said, Hillary, they, they didn't have titles, right? Like, like I, I in the old days, it would have been like you have to be from a certain set of families. But this seems like, is, is, it, is this a, a break in tradition that Kate, who is technically a commoner, <laughs> like, could, could, could date and then eventually marry the, the prince? 
Uh, their their Middleton family, no titles there. And William did date within that pool of, mm-hmm. of titled right. women. Mm-hmm. But Annie made it seem as though the biggest factor in William's decision to, to go with Kate was because of her family background. And she had this wholesome mm-hmm. home life that William never had. Um, and ironically, you know, the Carol, this mother figure that he really was drawn to and felt like she was a second second mother. So... You know, I mean that. Yeah, that is. I think I mentioned this already. That is a tension that I would like to. I would like to see on the crown. William discover that Carol, you know, was pulling the strings <laughs> and see what would happen. But I kind of feel like the show's not going to go there. <laughs> yeah. No. Were you both surprised? Were you all surprised by that turn with Carol? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I wasn't. I didn't know just what uh, a role she played. Like well, how much it sounds she like a, it sounds like a conspiracy theory. It sounds like saying that the Queen murdered Diana. Well, it's only a conspiracy theory if, if it's, it's not, not true. true. <laughs> I had always yeah. joked because I'd heard the joke from other people that like, oh, like Kate Middleton was built in a lab to marry Prince William. And then when the show was like, that's kind of what happened. I was like, wait a second. Was was I was like, were all those people yeah. onto something? It turns out, I guess, if they can't find any proof that it didn't happen, you know, that way. That's interesting. What is Carol's relationship like with the royal family today? And like, is she at all the events? Is are they all thick as thieves? I know it's a complicated family. Complicated family. She she is, you know, in with with the family. I guess once Kate and William got married, you know, Kate made it very clear that she wanted her family to have a large role in the kids' life. So that family is more involved with the with the royal children than maybe in in a different couple. This episode has a kind of like dramatic twist at the end. The queen is going to her golden jubilee. She's very worried that she's going to be all alone and that the people will have deserted her and, you know, she'll go out to the balcony for her Evita moment and there will be nobody there. And then, you know, at the at the end, William shows up to support her and it's very sweet. Um, you know, even the queen needs family support. Um, but apparently this is not exactly what happened. No, Annie said that was Peter's creative license. Wow. That, which it was sort of that episode in particular had very rom-commy vibes mm-hmm. between mm-hmm. the moment on the fashion in the yeah. fashion show, the catwalk, and then the end when William's in the car racing <laughs> to be there on yeah. time. Driving Except himself. Instead of going to the airport. <laughs> yes. Right. Love actually, but the crown edition. <laughs> right. What a mensch. What a mensch. Right. So that was that was Peter sort of wanting to to have a nice moment moment between the queen and and her grandson, this future heir. I mean, a 19-year-old boy leaving his new girlfriend to go see his grandma is probably the highest fantasy this show has <laughs> yeah, done. Right. <laughs> really <laughs> strange. <laughs> Still watching, we'll be back in just a moment. And when we return, let's see what artifacts make it into our time capsule. Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com. Well, we've asked Julie to stick with us for our time capsule segment, wherein we look at, well, now we're, we're not in the 90s anymore. We're in the, firmly in the early 2000s, Y2K era. 
Uh, we just look at little, you know, ephemera of pop culture that jumped out at us from each episode. Julie, was there any kind of turn of phrase or anything in this episode that jumped out at you as being particularly of that era? I loved the moment between William and his grandmother where he's talking about uh, grandmother the queen, in case you were mistaken. Was that? Oh, of course, of course. Where she's talking about Harry's dust up with marijuana and, and he refers to it casually as ganja and she's like, what is that? And he says, you know, wacky backy. Wacky backy. That I actually didn't even know what he was referring to. Same. So I was I was grateful for the ganja explanation. But I've had you guys heard wacky backy? I'd heard wacky tabacky, yeah, yeah, not backy. I guess the Brits they say maths, you know. Well, yeah, no, it's it's a it's a low it's a lorry, it's not a truck, as, as we've discussed. <laughs> exactly. Ganja is such an early two thousands phrase. Such a t- like you don't hear that anymore. You really don't. Like, Did you hear it then? <laughs> Is my question. <laughs> it depends on the circles you read it. Yeah, I, I certainly did. I don't know. That feels like grass. That feels like yeah. something nobody ever actually said. <laughs> Maybe in the 60s. I don't know. Um, the moment that uh, stuck out to me, and Julie, I feel like you will also feel this, is Kate's hair during that fashion show, her hair wrap. Do you remember when when we did that? Did you do that? I never did. No, my my most vivid memory of a hair wrap, um, which, you know, for any uh, listener who was not as familiar with it, was when you took a lock of your hair and somebody put string all around it. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so my, my sister got one one time, and then, like, weeks later, the whole clump just fell out. Oh, <laughs> so disgusting. Hair, like, root and all. Oh, <laughs> so no. that's what happened when you caught a hair wrap. Right. Well, that'll be coming back any day because my time capsule was like, oh, my God, those fashion show outfits look like everybody on the subway today. Well, that's the thing. Is that, yeah, the, it's, I can't believe that, like, the naughties are they're in. In. They're in. These little, like, crop tops with, like, the midriff showing and then sort of those, like, sort of, like, cargo pants sort of uh-huh. shorts and all those go- all the other girls every other outfit I was like okay seen that seen that on the F train they're see, all like, on trend it's wild all on trend so a hair wrap will be coming back <laughs> get your hair crazy. wraps ready I mean I guess it's good that it's not like low rise jeans because that's actually the worst <laughs> like least flattering like most impossible thing to wear like I, I hope mm-hmm. that those are gone and I feel like they always threaten to come back oh. and then everyone like gets their head about them and it doesn't happen Rejects but it. I hope everybody burned those I don't want to see them come <laughs> back so awful oh my god I thought that I was such hot shit though right <laughs> well, this podcast is putting out a line of St. Andrew's chic streetwear so oh, uh, keep an eye out for that <laughs> That does it for this episode of Still Watching. Uh, as ever, you can find me on X and Instagram at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. And you can find me on X and Instagram at Christress. You can find me at Hillabuster with two R's. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Jake Loomis. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. Up next in your feed, it's the finale. See you there. Sounds so mad about it. And take it or leave it. Hi, I'm Michael Calori, the co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. And I'm Lauren Good, the other co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab. Get ready to dive deep into the cultural phenomenon that's been shaping conversations, sparking movements, and breaking barriers for over a decade. The new three-part docuseries, Black Twitter, A People's History, based on the groundbreaking Wired cover story by Jason Parham, 
explores everything from the fun, games, and inside jokes that characterized the early years of Black Twitter to the social movements, the voices, and the hashtags that made Black Twitter an influential force in nearly every aspect of American political culture. Join us as we unravel the threads of this digital community, tracing its origins, celebrating its triumphs, and exploring its impact on society at large. Watch the series from Onyx Collective in association with Wired Studios, premiering on Hulu on May 9th.